0: Welcome to the Breaking Over the Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your anxiety disorder through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, so funny story kind of about today's episode and guest. When I first started this podcast, which was last December, so December 2022, I got super excited about bringing on all my amazing friends and peers and colleagues that I kind of went a little bit overboard I recorded so many guest interviews in those first, in the first few months of this year, like January, February, March, that they just started piling up and I couldn't even keep up with releasing them all. Then I went on vacation and it was summer and I took a little bit of summer holidays. And so now I'm finally getting around to releasing a bunch of guest episodes that were recorded so Long ago, and today is one of those. So, Dr. Stephanie, who you will hear from today, we recorded this back in March, and obviously a few things have changed since then. March was around the time that I was almost done with my burnout protocol, my burnout recovery, which started in August 2022, and then it wrapped up around March, April, uh, which you'll hear me talk about in this episode. So, going through A seven or even eight month, almost eight month burnout recovery process really was one of the things that opened my eyes to the impact that alcohol had on my body because I would just have a few casual drinks and it would really, really, really derail any progress I was making. And on that note, I actually think I talk about in this episode or in an episode that's coming out at some point. I don't know. I talk about how much I really like spicy margaritas, which is true. Um, I love spicy margaritas, or at least I used to, but you know what I have been doing to crush that craving? The lemon habanero and mango chili element electrolyte packages. I will link those in the show note in case you have never heard of that company. Um, I'll just bring those to a cottage or even a patio or a restaurant or someone's house. And I definitely do not feel like I'm missing out. Okay, so Dr. Stephanie is a naturopathic doctor from Vancouver, Canada, who takes women from bloated and burnt out to fiercely confident and energized. She believes that when you are no longer bloated and tired, you show up differently in your life, which I totally agree you're able to own it and not miss out on precious once-in-a-lifetime opportunities and time. I'm so excited this episode is finally going live because if you have an anxiety disorder or chronic anxiety, you have some level of adrenal dysfunction. And so I really encourage you to listen to this entire episode from start to finish. Burnout is not a diagnosis. It's a state we enter into. And we cover the three main stages. We talk about the symptoms, how to identify what stage you're in, what to do about it, what steps you can take, specific herbs and foods to focus on, how to actually restore the nervous system. We also talk about what markers to look for on blood work that your doctor is missing or maybe not even running. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode, shall we? Yeah, welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Let's dive right in because we have so much to talk about. I know this is going to (laughs) be such a hot topic because we're talking about burnout today. And when I did my burnout episode, I got flooded with DMs and emails from women who could either relate because they had gone through that or women being like, oh my gosh, like I think I might be in burnout (laughs) so let's you know let's first start who are you tell us a little bit about your story and then we'll jump into the stages of burnout and
1: things like that uh okay so I'm a dual licensed um, naturopathic doctor so I can see patients in British Columbia and Ontario um I also am a nutritionist I was a former psychotherapist and life coach and now my big passion is helping women Um, navigate bloat and burnout to get to a place where they can feel energized and confident.
0: This is why your mindsets, everybody needs to follow you on Instagram, (laughs) which will be linked
1: in the show notes. Like
0: the way you you explain things in your mindset stuff when I found out that you are a life coach and you used to be like a psychotherapist, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Because She has this <laughs> mindset piece nailed down.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I have a squirrel brain, so it requires a lot of like work to like work through mindset stuff. So I have I needed to do a lot of personal work to get there. And it's a constant work in progress. So we,
0: for sure, for sure. So yeah. have you ever experienced burnout? <laughs> <laughs> I know the answer, but.
1: I feel like we like to try to help others like navigate what we've been through. Yes. So yes, I have definitely experienced burnout many times. I have what I think I like to call a superwoman complex where I used to think that like doing more was associated with more accolades, more success, more accomplishment. Um, so my first experience with burnout was back in 2012. I was doing my master's I was doing a bunch of other undergraduate courses. I was working at a vet. I had a partner that was 2 hours away from me and I basically had half an hour out of the week to myself and I would take a bath and I would try to just sit in silence for that 30 minutes. Right? Yeah. This is, tough, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is like, self-care. This is, this is self-care. Exactly. And then I was like, okay. um, I navigated that, I got through it, I rebuilt up my energy. And then it happened again when I was in school to become a nutritionist. I was in school to become a psychotherapist and nutritionist. I was in all these different courses all at the same time. And I got to the point where it felt like I was walking through mud and I had debilitating brain fog to the point that I felt like I couldn't focus, I couldn't concentrate, like everything was sort of shutting down on me. I later learned that I actually had significantly high heavy metals at that point, as well as a viral infection that I hadn't cleared. And then through genetic testing, I learned that my detox pathways, so my glutathione and my SOD2 pathways are suboptimal. So I don't manage viruses and toxins well. So that was contributing as well to the burnout. And then the next time was right before naturopathic medical school, I was working two jobs as a nutritionist in Fort Mac. And I was in all these undergraduate science courses because I needed the sciences to get into school and I didn't have a science background. Oh, you background. didn't have those, yes. No. Yeah, so try learning a six week course and cramming it into seven weeks, but doing it online. Like my background is in languages and psych, and that was just <laughs> like my brain. Um, so then we were evacuated to the um, due to the Fort McMurray wildfire. So like that factored into it. So I arrived at school having these like flashes where I would get really hot and really cold. I would get dizzy spells. I was super exhausted. And when we arrived at school, they actually told us that it was going to feel like you were drinking from a a fire hose, that the program was so intense that relationships would likely fail you better give up your hobbies you likely won't have time to work out they're scaring people away from being naturopathic doctors yeah and i was like in that moment when somebody tells me i can't do something it immediately lights this like internal attitude well like watch me yeah and which is so not helpful i don't endorse that for anybody but I then was like, oh, okay, I'll do the eight to 12 hours of school and studying, etc. But then I'll add in a a 5am CrossFit workout, and then I'll go to the driving range, and then I'll go to school, and then I'll box after school, and then I'll run on the weekends, and then I'll start a relationship with somebody halfway across the country for three and a half years out of the four year program, let's try it this way. And then after school, it's like, at least taken two years of full self-care to sort of help me recover from that so yes I have been burnt out many times I'm trying to learn faster to see the signs and to like replenish sooner so it doesn't drive me into the ground
0: yes I I've said this I think on multiple podcasts now that I think every single naturopathic doctor I know is burnt out like for the most part and (laughs) it's because we're just, you know, give, 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 and working so hard to help other people that even we forget to take care of ourselves, <laughs> right? Like totally. nobody, nobody is perfect. I'm really glad, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as we go into like the stages of burnout and kind of the root causes. I'm really glad that you brought up heavy metals and viruses because the, the understanding, I think the common understanding of burnout is, if you're burnt out, you just need to rest and then everything right. will be better. And that's that's not the case if there's self-pathogens because those actually need to be dealt with or they will keep you in a state of burnout. Totally. So yeah. what are the three stages of burnout? How can we recognize <laughs> what are the symptoms? How can, If everyone anyone's listening being like, oh my God, I actually don't like to use the word burnout. I prefer to use the word adrenal dysfunction. It's just semantics to me, but I get like I'm <laughs> right. so nitpicky with language because... I think burnout implies you're at that. In my mind, when I hear burnout, it means like, that's it. You're done. You're at the end of your rope. And our our culture is so like hustle, push, grind, keep going, that somebody could be in stage one or stage two, and they're going to push, 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 push through it until they get to stage three, which in my mind, stage three is burnout. Like that's what I see burnout is. It's like, that's the collapse. Yeah. So I'm having conversations with women where they're like, no, I'm I'm not in burnout. You know, I'm fine because burnout would mean that I was exhausted and I couldn't do anything. And it's like, yes, that's partly true, but there's stages. There's stages yeah. before <laughs> we get there. And so let's go through these stages.
1: Well, it's funny that you say that because I find um, it's depending on what populations you work with, you can see that certain people don't want to identify with certain labels. So mm-hmm. stress is a big one that people. So technically, these are jumping off of the stages of stress but if you ask women today especially because women are typically raised to be sort of the shock absorbers of society they're raised to be perfectionists caretakers you know people pleasers they don't want to identify with the word stress because stress to them means that they're not coping or they failed or they can't keep up and it's amazing to me that i could ask a patient who's just finished telling me that they're not sleeping. They're not really eating. They don't really hydrate enough. They're having disagreements with their partner about parenting. They're having a big sort of dramatic disagreement with a friend and they've got all these deadlines at work. And when I ask them to rate their stress, they'll tell me it's a one out of 10. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, I know because you think that I that's did socially, this <laughs> yeah, because that's socially unacceptable. So you don't want to say that, but I know on a physiological level with everything you just told me that, there's no way that it's a one out of ten but we've got all these pressures to tell us so i agree there's definitely semantics around um identifying with things even the word fatigue some people don't like but it's interesting if you ask people about um people were busy on the other hand like a badge of honor no one would ever say like hi i'm so and so i'm so stressed no, but hi, I'm so-and-so and and I'm so busy. I've got all these things going on. You know, it's really like, I've got so much going on. I'm so tired these days. Like they think that is more socially acceptable and that gives them more, I don't know, like more, like, I don't know if it's um, like seen as a sense of accomplishment almost. Uh So, oh yes, I'll walk you through the phases. Um, So phase one is the alarm phase. So this is where Basically, our response to stress is revving up. So we call this like the stage where everything becomes wired, everything's amped up. So you start to ruminate, you start to overthink, you can't shut off your mind, you're anxious, you're over worrying about things, you can't sleep at night because you can't shut off the mind, you start to have like 3am waking you might have the sensation that your heart is racing. You might have transient like increases in blood pressure that might not show up in the doctor's office, but your blood pressure could be rising on like day to day. And then here, you're usually still able to work out. right? So you would be, because you've got all this bent, like pent up energy, you're usually able to still go and do like a workout or a weight class or a HIIT class. And it's sometimes going to be more invigorating because you've sort of like offloaded some of that extra energy. Um now the interesting thing about this phase, do you want me to talk about approaches like how yeah. we deal with the phases? Okay. Yeah.
0: And just like for anybody listening, if you have anxiety, you are in stage one. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I have yeah. yeah, you might even be in stage two or stage three. Um I tend to see more kind of depression in the later yes. stages as opposed to anxiety, totally. but there has not been one woman that I have worked with who was not in stage one of adrenal dysfunction because I work with women with anxiety. And so
1: totally. yeah, <laughs> there
0: is some level of adrenal dysfunction going on. So this episode is for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's interesting when you are in that revving up. So when we're rapid cycling your stress hormones, so like, your epinephrine your norepinephrine we've got increases in cortisol you're also going to have like sugar and salt cravings right because the body is so stressed that it's burning through things so quickly that you're going to crave um sugar for energy here as well um so the interesting thing about this one is first we need to prioritize sleep and rest yes those would seem kind of intuitive but then we would look to things like mindset work maybe it's something that you can do with a coach maybe it's something that you can do through like talk therapy or psychotherapy we can work on um we can leave the workouts for the most part as is if they are working out um we can look to things in this stage we're looking at herbal like nervine relaxes so nervous system relaxing herbs things like lavender kava kava valerian flower, holy basil And then we want to replace what you're burning through to create those stress hormones so things like healthy fat healthy protein b vitamins magnesium vitamin c and then iron's a big one but we usually do testing first to make sure that you actually have an an iron deficiency that warrants supplementation and i'll preface this by saying we're talking loosely about these things i'm not engaging in a doctor patient relationship with those listening these are just more for educational purposes um so option uh, so stage two you can think of it like now we've revved the system for so long but we haven't done anything to like support the body right so now we've burned through things we're not replenishing we're not supporting so now we start to get into that phase where we're like irritable we're frustrated we're quick to lose it or we're quick to snap we now start to feel more overwhelmed now we start to see mood swings or we can go from maybe a high high to a low low and not really understand like how we transitioned so quickly. Um, we also start to see a decline in like your motivation, your mood, your concentration. Brain fog can start to set in here as well. And then we also see the, um, your libido start to decline. So women's sex drive starts to go down here. And uh, the other thing is that weight training or workouts start to be more draining. No, So not only do you not have as much motivation for them, but when you do them, they're actually more, they, they leave you feeling exhausted. They don't leave you feeling like invigorated. And here we're gonna have to take things deeper if we want to like basically replenish things. So we would still be focusing on the things that we did in phase one. Obviously sleep is going to be paramount. I, I should preface all this by saying, no matter what you do outside of sleep, if you are trying to get by on like four to six hours, not a lot of these other supports are going to have as much benefit ever as just ensuring that you're getting consistent eight hours that's like a basic foundational like concept that we need um i would and then even here, say
0: nothing will work
1: yes like <laughs> i straight up
0: just say nothing's gonna work if you're yeah. chronically getting under six hours like six hours and less of sleep chronically Yeah, and i would even say a few nights in a row of that because um, it's going to massively implicate your hormones, which is going to aggravate the adrenals and aggravate the situation. And I know, um, you know for a lot of my listeners, not being able to sleep is a really big symptom for them because of yeah. what's going on with their gut, because of what's going on with their adrenals. So it can be a point, it can increase anxiety when people hear this. And I just want to make it very clear that the reason you can't sleep is not you know, you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes, because of the anxiety, it's because of the imbalances in the body that are also creating anxiety. And so there are root cause explanations for why you can't sleep. So when you hear this, and you think like, Oh, my gosh, I want to sleep, I'm trying to sleep, but I can't sleep, you know, give yourself some grace and just understand that there are reasons for that. And that can be fixed. That's like, I would say that's like a quote, unquote, easy fix when you're working with somebody who understands what's actually happening. And it's not Oh, just take some melatonin or CBD. Like it's like, no, you right. actually have to address why what's happening in the body
1: totally. no, uh, most definitely. And I think, um, on top of the sleep um and taking breaks, um, it's really hard, I find, for women to take breaks. Like they'll tell themselves they're taking a break, but really they're folding laundry or they're making the bed or they're still doing something. It's not an actual, break where they're just like out for a walk or they're sitting in silence. Um, So I find even taking breaks is a struggle. But besides doing what we did in phase one, now we might have to take it a little bit deeper. So sometimes we need to incorporate like physical medicine, um, things like acupuncture, massage, tapping, things that drive um, that healing deeper into the body. Sometimes people even need to go to hypnotherapy to take that mindset work more internally. And then here we're looking at things like adaptogenic herbs. So herbs that help your body adapt to stress better. So things like schisandra, rhodiola, panax, and um, Siberian ginseng. And then we're still doing all those supports to help you still make your stress hormones um, efficiently. And making sure that we don't have any like nutrient deficiencies is another big one as well. Um, so then let's say we kept going in that phase and we haven't Uh, replenished anything then we go into what we call the exhaustive phase so this is technically like a long burnout yeah and um here we've got like mental physical and emotional fatigue now you've got like debilitating brain fog it is next to impossible to wake up in the morning you're constantly hitting snooze or you're constantly just resetting your alarm you might feel emotionally numb like you're just disengaged from the world Um, here you have no libido you have no motivation left you have no drive to go to the gym it's not like you're staying in bed all day but you're walking around like everything's sort of a struggle you might be still getting things done but everything is like oh my god like I just want to sit down and do nothing so here we've got a lot of work to do so sometimes this can be where now we've you know burnt the candle at both ends and now we really need to do so much support for so many different body systems. So not just for the nervous system, but now we've got to throw in immune supports. We need to make sure your cells are supported. We need to do gut health work. There's so many different factors to it. So now we would take that like talk therapy, psychotherapy, hypnotherapy. We probably have to do mindset work, uh, meditation, breath work. Now we're looking at herbs that are actually nervous system. We call them tropho restorative. So they actually help repair the nervous system. So, things like milky oat seed, blue vervain, orange seed oil. Um, we've got to do a lot of work with um, nutrients, a lot of um, immune stuff. And then we can look at like adaptogenic mushrooms, things like reishi, cordyceps, turkey tail, chaga. Um, we can also go into like nourishing foods like soups, stews, bone broths, and then doing. Um, more restorative workouts. So like yin or restorative yoga, or starting with walking, once they have the energy to be able to do that, I usually don't have patients starting with any kind of more intensive workout, because it's just going to be more depleting until we build them up a bit.
0: And would you add in like uh, glandulars in stage three as well, or or licorice, like not DGL, but actual licorice, of course, if there's no contraindications?
1: Yeah, yeah. Those are my go tos less
0: glandulars (laughs) actually I thought glandulars would work better on me than they did yeah but like high doses of licorice mind you I don't have any blood pressure issues so just a side note like (laughs) make sure you're checking contraindications yeah Uh, but like a high dose of licorice like from a supplement perspective uh amongst I did mushrooms as well a bunch of stuff um that was like a game changer for me in addition to everything else she's talking about when I found myself yeah. in stage three and I figured it out in August and now we are in March at the time of this recording the podcast will come out in a few months but because I batch I batch <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best feeling to batch yeah. I've I, four years I haven't been doing it but with the guest interviews I do it which is great but. yeah yeah so we're in March <laughs> hey 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 I'm quickly interrupting this episode because if you are like me and you are a visual learner, I wanted to let you know about my free one hour webinar class called the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment that walks you through, well, the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment, specifically how to optimize your digestive function, how to fix your gut, how to eat in a way that boosts natural neurotransmitter production and reduce inflammation and how to bring your hormones back into balance. I love podcasts for listening to when I'm on walks or driving or cooking or cleaning. They inspire me and give me so many aha moments, but I am a visual learner. So I benefit the most when I can see the information presented in a clear and organized manner, like a slideshow. I don't really remember or retain information that well when it's just presented verbally, which is exactly what I have done for you in my three secrets to natural anxiety management training. And within that training, I share the top things that you need to be doing To optimize digestive function, boost neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones back into balance, all in a beautiful slideshow. So if you haven't watched that, hit the link in the show notes to get your copy of the three secrets to natural anxiety management, free training emailed right to you. Okay, back to the episode. So we're (laughs) in March and I um I just kind of redid my assessments I'm actually sending in a Dutch next week but based on my and we can talk about functional testing because people are probably like what's the Dutch Um, (laughs) but I think I'm back in I think I'm in stage one so what is that how many months is that like August September October, November December January February March that's like yeah. seven months. And that yeah. is 1000% realistic. And I knew that going in. It was funny because my partner would be like, when are you going to be better? When are you going to be out of this burnout? <laughs> and when he asked me that in the beginning, I would snap. and would be like, well, it'll happen when it happens. <laughs> like yeah. Leave me alone. But now yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I had to make changes in my life. And until those changes were made, I wasn't moving out of stage three, I was just kind of in this maintenance where I was like not getting worse, but I wasn't getting better. And then that took three months to like leave a job and to make some pretty significant changes. And then that it kind of started to pick up from there, but I was telling him it's probably going to be months. Like I know I've worked with, with women and I know women where it's like two years. And you even said that in your story, that it kind of took a full two years when you graduated from naturopathic medicine school to really, really feel like, okay, We have done the replenishing. We are good to go. So what would you say, what do you see for kind of timelines for stage one, stage two, stage three? Obviously, it's generic, but I know people are always curious about that.
1: I think it more depends on how dedicated they are to actually um, working on restorative processes. So sometimes people go into stage one, and they're aware, and they recognize, oh, I'm in, I'm actually like in a high stress state i'm going to you know set increased boundaries i'm going to make sure i get proper sleep i'm going to get out in nature i'm going to do these things so i can reset myself so i think it depends on their awareness how in tune they are with their body how willing they are to restore themselves i think i i don't know that i could give timelines for first the first phase and the second but the third phase depending on how long you've been there, how many times you've been burnt out before, how exhausted you are going into that stage of burnout. Usually it takes 1 to 2 years. But I also don't want that to be a deterrent for people to work on it because that can seem really daunting. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be feel better until the end of the 2 years. It just means you might not feel like you're full cell and fully equipped to like cope with stress maybe the same as you would on an optimal day until that 2 year time. And sometimes it's shorter than that.
0: Yeah. And I have said this before, and I'll continue to say this because I think it's really important to to set realistic uh, expectations for people. But I see the same thing when it comes to anxiety, like you can be feeling, you know, if you have a chronic anxiety disorder, it doesn't have to be diagnosed. But if you experience chronic anxiety, so every day, a few times a week, just before your period, but it happens every single month kind of thing, that's what I would categorize as chronic anxiety And so again, depending on how long you've had it for, but what I usually see is people feeling, you know, 70 to 80% better in three to six months, again, based on their kind of dedication to the process and how diligent they are with the changes and, and everyone comes in at a different level. Like some people, it's a big overhaul for other people, it's tweaks, but on average, what I have seen in four years now is about three to six months, but you kind of go up and down, up and down, up and down for about two years. And so I also have this two-year mark. And I tell my clients this all the time too. And all the women in my group coaching program, like, I know it sounds really daunting, but I'm not saying you're going to struggle for, for two years, but you might feel amazing for six months and then boom, you have a panic attack. And, and it doesn't mean that everything you've been doing isn't working. It's just the body has to take time to rebalance and you're building a new foundation it's like you've torn down a house you're building a new foundation right and like and I don't know if anybody's ever gotten a new build but it takes years to get those things done yeah <laughs> and there's well, always delays
1: but oh, yeah totally and I think too like um when you show people through all the different work just how good they can feel, even if it's 70 to 80% better on an energetic level or in an ability to cope or ability to be more resilient to stress. Most people are going to be like, Oh my God, I need to keep going. Like I really want to maintain this. And once you've given them like a taste of it, they know what they, they know what that feels like. So they're more hyper aware when they're off. So if I'm used to feeling like 70 to 80% better and like, let's say i get hit with some sort of viral infection and now i'm tired again for three weeks it makes me like love and appreciate that energy that i've like worked up to so much more because i think we've normalized having no energy and people just don't think energy is even like achievable these days everyone's just running around normalizing tired
0: oh and that's 100 percent, especially women especially if you're a mom you know like especially if you're a working mom like oh my gosh yeah. the list goes on and on. Um, The timing of this conversation is really great as well because I have been feeling so good. I'm like, oh man, I'm definitely in stage one. I like redid my symptom analysis. I'm sending in my Dutch, as I said, and I'm like super excited. And then, and then I had last week, I had a really rough week. And for me, I'm just curious about it at this point because Mm -hmm. we've been at this for so long that I'm just kind of, instead of being like beating myself up and, and, you know, shame talking myself and talking shit about myself in my head. I just say to my I'm like oh interesting like why did that happen like what what was I doing like a week ago kind of thing and what I had done was I had more drinks than I normally did I think like three or four nights out of the week I maybe had two to three drinks which is a lot for me like usually I'm like no drinks or like one to two drinks kind of thing like a few drinks a month and that was enough to push me back into the state of I was like, oh man, I am so tired. I am so irritable. I'm so grumpy. Like I'm exhausted. I'm sleeping in until eight o'clock and I normally get up at five and I'm going to bed at nine o'clock. So like I clearly need the sleep, right? And it's yeah. just kind of that things are going to happen in life that are going to feel totally. like setbacks, but I would actually love for you to kind of riff quickly on the mindset of setbacks or the healing journey being not. Linear because I'd love to hear what you have to say or how you coach your patients through this. Because this is every single per all of my clients come to me with this, where it's like I was doing so good, and now like my symptoms are back and it's freaking me out, and I feel frustrated and I'm scared, and you know, all these things. And I'm just like, keep going. (laughs) I feel like like you have some good tips.
1: (laughs) So, I so I call it the success staircase. So if we think of like walking up a set of stairs, let's say um, you hit a like a setback or something throws you off, like you described with the drinks. Or for me, if I get like a viral infection or if I've gone out and I get less sleep, if it sets me like it could be other things that are maybe seen as a more dramatic setback as well. But I like to think of it as you just drop down one step you have all the wisdom all the learnings all the tools that you've learned up until that point that have that you can take with you moving forward but i think what happens is people catastrophize things so they take this setback they in their mind they're all the way back at the beginning of the stairs and they're like looking up and seeing this daunting staircase and thinking like oh my god how am i ever going to do this again but really like you're halfway there already right mm-hmm. so like you know you had all of this all of these learnings and you have all the tools now it's just like implementing them again and i think we beat ourselves up like so brutally like if we could just focus like a little bit more on like self-kindness like we are human beings we are going to have mistakes along the way and the fact that you've committed to not only self-care but improving your health to begin with and you've already made these changes like i think there's a lack of celebrating the wins like oh we my gosh!
0: To celebrate reach <laughs> I'm like I'm the most annoying coach I will tag my clients to be like what's your win and I post like a weekly win in the nice. Facebook group and if people aren't commenting I'm like tagging them being like I know you have something to celebrate it's been seven days like come on
1: <laughs> yeah and and I think that's a big part of it. it is like we're not celebrating the things it's just constantly looking at like the next thing we need to do and the next and the next and you look back and you're like wait a second i've done so much and i've come so far but there's sort of a lack of acknowledgement of that so i think realizing just how far you've come celebrating and then kindness i think we set these like arbitrary barometers for ourselves and then when we can't hit them then we're a failure like i used to tell myself if i wasn't waking up at four which is outrageous oh my god! i wasn't yeah. waking up at four <laughs> yep i was not I was not maximizing every moment. I wasn't living life to the fullest. And it's like, whoa, okay. But then I drove myself into the ground. So was it really that worth it? Whereas now I'm like, okay, if I wake up at seven, I'm not a failure. (laughs) Like, let's just tone it down a notch. Yeah. So I think like self kindness and compassion is huge.
0: Um, I know I have a a girlfriend of mine who listened to my burnout episode and then she sent me a text and she was like, holy shit, like I'm burnt out. And she's like, you know, listening to that episode gave me a lot of peace of mind because I was thinking what is going on. Um, And so I'm supporting her with that now, but she had just gotten back from a two week vacation. And she was saying it's in these moments that you really know, you really understand that health is the most important thing. Cause I just spent all this money on a vacation and I, could i was exhausted i was irritable i don't feel rejuvenated coming back you know she's like i had a good time i don't regret going but also like i'm spending so much money on this vacation like people will spend a couple thousand dollars on a vacation and then they will balk at spending a thousand dollars on their health (laughs) but it's like you need your health to enjoy those vacations you need your health to work and make the money to go on those vacations like we just, and it's, it's just a, a a society thing, like it's ingrained in us since birth that like our health is not at the forefront of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I think also something that can really help people is if you sit down with yourself and you hone in on what you value, then all of your decisions in life can be traced back to that value. So If something you can check and if it feels out of alignment, you're likely not going to commit to it. So for me, I um, deeply value energy and joy. There's many other things that I value, but I'll give those in the example of health. So everything that I do is I evaluate, will this action either like detract from my joy or detract from my energy? And if it will, then it's less likely that I'm going to go forward with that. And it's it, I do it with everything, like if something's going to hijack my happiness from the next day, like staying up late or I don't drink, but drinking would be a big one. And it's part of the reason I don't drink is because I don't want anything to interfere with those two things. I value them like they're in my top 10 values. So I think that can also help people. I think the word health for people is so broad that they don't know how to like put that into value. but like you value your energy, or if you value chasing your kids around and being able to do fun things with them, or if you value freedom, or I don't know, there's different things that can help you sort of navigate um, decisions and sort of stick to a health plan.
0: Definitely. What is um, one of your favorite or maybe top two ways to work on being kind and compassionate to yourself? I personally love the meta meditation, the loving kindness meditation. Mm -hmm. And when I find myself slipping into a place where I'm not being super nice to myself or not patient to myself, or I'm getting easily frustrated by other people. I will kind of recalibrate myself by in my morning meditation for like seven days, or as long as I feel like I need it, I'll do like a meta meditation.
1: Love that. Um, I do a few things I'll do. Um, I do a morning meditation with breath work. Um, and then I'll do hypnotherapy. Like I have recorded hypnotherapy sessions that I've done, or um that I think you're um part of the to be magnetic.
0: Yes, membership. oh, my gosh. Yes. I've talked about so. it on this podcast. I'm obsessed.
1: <laughs> yeah. I forgot that you
0: were in that, too. I like yeah. I can't say enough good things about that, <laughs>
1: yeah. which is its type of hypnosis, yes. So I take one of those. like, I'll do any of them, like the soothe one, the anxiety, any of them, I'll take that and I'll go into my like sauna blanket. And yes. I'll I'm so jealous. That. When I see your videos of that, I'm like, oh so man. Work through that. <laughs> journaling is another big one. Um, that I will do like just in terms of journaling, why like just freehand about like why I'm being so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. So I think like we can really be i really think we all just hold we're the reasons that we hold ourselves back i actually don't think it's anything out there i think it's our own um, belief systems and if we can work on those we can like step out of our comfort zone a little bit more
0: yeah i believe that too and like outside of whatever your situation is in life and i obviously do recognize that there is a level of privilege like involved in certain situations um But for the most part, I strongly agree with that, where no one's coming to save us. We're the only ones who can help ourselves. And we're the reason we don't have what we want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing, too, when you see, like, people make significant life changes. I always want to know, like, what changed then for you? You know, like somebody who's been one way for a very long time, but who's often talked about wanting to do things differently. I'm always curious, like, when they make a drastic shift that lasts for them, like, what was it at that point in your life that shifted? It's interesting when everything comes together for you.
0: It's like everyone has their own personal rock bottom, if you want to call it that, you know, and it's going to look different for everybody. And something that just snaps you out, and you're just like, okay, I'm tired of my own shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I was talking to my mom about this the other day we we go for like a weekly walk and um I was telling her I was like you know I really see this in the mental health space this victim mentality yeah. like woe is me this is happening to me I can't do anything about it and I get it because I was there in the early years of my mental illnesses when I was in my early 20s it I was total victim mindset like I I was doing things kind of you know like I was on medication I was going to therapy I was doing things but I really let that define me and kind of used it in a way so that you know people would feel bad for me or or things like that or I would use it as excuses for maybe my behavior or I would use it as an explanation for why I did the things I did and my mother who's also had her own struggles with her mental health that was saying the same thing. And then, um, I said, you know, one day I wish I could pinpoint kind of what happened, but one day I just woke up and I was just like, so sick of my shit. <laughs> I was like, okay. Cause you're not the victim. Like, yes, things no. have happened to you in life or for you. Um, yeah. things have happened for you. And, you know, we all this, I don't know if you like Amanda Marshall. I love her. That she's a song. Like everybody has a story that could break your oh, yes. heart. Yeah. And it's true. Everybody has a story that will break your heart. Like something has happened to everybody, but are you going to let your circumstances define you or are you going to do what needs to be done to kind of make the change?
1: Yeah, no, totally. I think there's a lot of identifying with the, like people identify with their story Yeah. and then it becomes like all encompassing.
0: Yeah. Like I'm an anxious person. And this Mm -hmm. becomes like, your personality trait it just becomes kind of who you are when it's a symptom
1: (laughs) yeah yeah definitely
0: okay I want to talk about um functional testing recommendations because most people are just going to their medical doctors and just being like hey I want blood work and they're running like 10 markers (laughs) just like not enough information and then they're (laughs) looking at it from you know lab ranges which are very broad Um, so what kind of functional testing recommendations would you recommend for people, um, in burnout for women in burnout? And I would love if you could pull a few blood markers and like that are clues. I know from my own blood work now in hindsight, what the clues were, if you can speak to that a little bit and maybe give some functional ranges. So people who do have copies of their blood work, by the way, if you do not have copies of your blood work. You get copies of your blood work, like every time you get a lab run, doctors won't give it to you, like unless you ask. Like you should have copies of all of your medical records, including your blood work, and don't look at the numbers and just be like, "Oh, I don't understand this," because Steph will point out a few markers for us (laughs) now. (laughs) But I really, really stress the importance of of getting proper blood work and having somebody who can look at it through functional ranges. I think so much can be can be caught there.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, So I'll preface this by saying, so burnout isn't a diagnosis, so usually diagnoses come with like a diagnostic criteria and then a specific treatment, whereas burnout is like a state that we can enter into. And because of that, like the lab testing that we would do would be lab tests to rule in or rule out certain causes of fatigue that could be like furthering that situation for you so um a lot of the labs i run in my practice are sort of catered to the whole like symptom picture that somebody has um, and when we're looking at burnout um we usually uh, i'll look at it in a few different categories so we'll look at like nutrient deficiencies are they deficient in nutrients that we need to either oxygenate the cells to make energy or are they deficient in nutrients that we need to actually build energy so um iron studies is a big one so your CBC with diff is sort of looking at your red and white blood cells. We can look at that to see if there's any like underlying infections, or we can look at that to um, see if there's a B12 or an iron deficiency. We also have other markers for iron as well. So iron and total iron binding capacity will give us a like an idea of the iron levels in the body. And then on top of that, we have ferritin, which is a measure of your iron stores. The ferritin is an interesting one. So when we run ferritin, because it can be a sign of inflammation, if iron is too high, we also want to run inflammatory markers at the same time to rule out inflammation, because if there is a high inflammatory load, we don't want to be supplementing iron. Um, We want to work on the inflammation, then supplement the iron later. Um, So the inflammatory markers that we typically look at are C-reactive protein. So it comes up as CRP on your test. And erythrocyte sedimentation rate, which comes up as ESR. So those can be telling us if there's acute or chronic inflammation. And then the ferritin levels, we normally want them between 50 and 80 nanograms. So most people aren't actually um, told that they're iron deficient um, until they're um, below 15. Which is huge. Yeah. Like 50 to 80, right? Yeah. Versus 15. like. And so that, that's huge because iron is needed for your red blood cells to carry oxygen around the body. So if you're deficient, your cells are basically going to be starving for energy and it can manifest with anxiety, uh, poor concentration, mood swings, depression, um, fatigue. And it's one of the biggest things and one of the easiest to fix and one of the most common in women because we have a lot of women who are heavy bleeders in their menstrual cycle. And so they're losing you know, tons of iron and they're not replacing it. So that's that those three are big vitamin d i have yet to see one patient that comes across with adequate vitamin d i usually like to see it between 125 and 150 most patients come in and they're below 75 and we need it not only for things like energy but we need it to regulate insulin in the body for like insulin sensitivity i mean it actually acts more like a hormone in the body and it's implicated in everything from like autoimmune conditions to hormone conditions like we need it for a lot of different things um, another big one that I run a lot that most doctors, um, it, um, won't run. I'm not sure why, but it's called an insulin glucose challenge test. It's like one of yeah, my, it's so
0: annoying. I was talking about this earlier. Like it drives <laughs> me nuts. Like they're, and they're not even running like fasting insulin. They're just running fasting glucose. And, yes. and I'm just like, what, this is like incomplete. <laughs> it drives me bonkers. And that's how I found out that I was kind of amongst my symptoms, one of the big, big clues for me was that all of a sudden my blood work was showing insulin resistance. And there's nothing in my diet and lifestyle, at least in my diet, that should have pointed towards that. Lifestyle, obviously yeah. there was some some lifestyle choices that pushed me <laughs> into burnout that would explain that. But I remember when I got that back on my blood work, which I never would have gotten if I had gone through a medical doctor, that really stood out to me. And I was like,
1: oh, yeah, got to work so on this. this- yeah this is an interesting one it's um it looks at fasting insulin and fasting blood glucose then they introduce a 75 gram um sugar solution at the lab and then they test your insulin and your glucose at the 30 minute mark the one hour mark and the two hour mark and it gives us a really good indication of how the body Um, is coping with blood sugar, whether your blood sugar is completely a mess after you eat a sugary solution and whether your insulin remains elevated. So insulin has its hand in like just about everything. High circulating insulin will cause fatigue. It has its hand in PCOS, it will up triglycerides, it will increase cholesterol, it will increase free fatty acids. And where that becomes important is that interferes with mitochondrial production of energy. So that will slow down um, just how much energy you're making and then we've got other things that we can look at. We can look at your lipid panel, which can feed back into the like insulin picture. You can do liver function tests, which is super important. Sluggish liver and gallbladder function can not only be related to, you know, poor detoxification, um, but it can also um, circulating bile acids are also involved in upregulating insulin, which can lead to fatigue and um, weight retention and a whole bunch of other things. And then the other um big ones that we can look into are uh, depending on what phase of life you're in are things like estrogen progesterone um, lh and fsh because if you've got high levels of estrogen and unopposed because they're unopposed by low progesterone meaning like maybe you're um um, anovulatory that would mean um, that could lead to fatigue and low progesterone levels can also lead to fatigue as well
0: ultimately a hormonal imbalance is a symptom and it's helpful information but it doesn't tell us why those hormones are imbalanced it just tell us tells us they are imbalanced. just like anxiety is a label as to what you are experiencing but it's not telling us why you're experiencing that
1: yeah yeah no totally um we see it more i think with um you know we we do have the lab tests for things like polycystic ovarian syndrome Mm -hmm. that's where that would become really big factor and i think the other two labs um or two sets of labs would be uh cortisol either serum cortisol or ideally a four-point cortisol with like a cortisol awakening response that can give us a good idea of your cortisol spike and how it comes down over the course of the day um and thyroid panel is huge um mainstream medicine typically only runs your thyroid stimulating hormone and it doesn't give us any indication of your active thyroid hormones or if the body's producing antibodies to the thyroid, which can be um, a major problem if that's left unchecked.
0: Oh yeah, I send my women to their doctors with an exact list of like, this is what I want you to ask for when you ask for a thyroid panel. There's six markers on here. And then every single time they're like, yep, yeah, the doctor said they'd run that and it's TSH.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, no. I do- <laughs> I, I don't know how it works in Ontario, but I know in BC, if the even if the doctor does check off all six, if the TSH comes in back in range, they actually won't run the other ones. And the range for TSH is very wide. It's from like 0.5 to 5, whereas ideally we'd want you between like a 1 and maybe 2.5. So yeah. if it comes back within that 0.5 to 5 range, then they drop the other test. And so it's not necessarily the doctors but it's more our provincial healthcare system that's like handcuffing what what tests are covered basically.
0: Oh yeah, it's a systemic issue which is also a yeah. point that I really try to drive home. It's not your individual doctor trying to be a dick like <laughs> yeah. they're not they actually don't have a lot of control like pe- no. they work for the province they work for the hospital they work for their yeah. governing body and we saw this happen with covid where they were getting licenses revoked if they went against what the country was saying right like this is a really big issue so thinking that your doctor just like has the power to do whatever they want and that's why you're not getting answers for your health is incorrect like yeah. they actually can't run a lot of the labs even if you want them to run a lot of the labs and even if they're but they're like, I would love to do this, but I literally can't like yeah. which has happened to a few friends of mine who have gone to their doctors and the doctors have said, like, I would love to do this for you. But you have to go to a naturopath because I literally can't like I can't write this on a requisition, you know, I actually well, I think have.
1: that's a... No, I was just going to say, I think that's I've always said to people, if you want optimal health in Canada, amazing that we have free healthcare. It's awesome. I don't take it for granted, but you. If you want optimal, it has to be a combination of paid and free.
0: Yeah, it's, we have it. the The, pay, the free health care is sick care, which is great yes. because if you if you get really sick, it's amazing that we have that and we have those yes. resources for people. Like same thing, I'm 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 extremely grateful for it. But it it's not a healthcare system. It's not an right. optimal healthcare system, and no. so there's severe severe limitations. And this is why people are staying. They're not getting the answers that they're looking for because that's not the system you need to be looking for these answers in. And I actually yeah. have a few people who live out, um, like colleagues who live out in Vancouver, and they just, um, they like lie to the lab and they tell the lab that they have an autoimmune condition and that they need to have their full panel run. Not that I'm saying go ahead and do that. But <laughs> I did know this about Vancouver, and I do have um, colleagues who, like me, like to get frequent blood work and complete yeah. blood work. And so they just tell like a little fib and they like really push for it. But again, I'm not saying do that, but the average person <laughs> is not going to advocate for their health in the same way that yeah. you or I would advocate. Like I would be throwing a like a fucking fit at the lab <laughs> in Vancouver if they were not going to run a full thyroid panel. Like, you know, maybe it would be like a, not like a total fit, but I would be sitting there being like, I would, I would lie.
1: I would say i need this <laughs> but i think yeah i think people have to be their own um health advocates and i think a big part of like for me working with patients like i always make it clear why we're ordering all the labs and why they're super critical um just in the last like few months if we hadn't run the labs that i had run people would they would they would be so confused like we were able to diagnose so many different things with their lab testing that explained their symptoms explained their situation that they hadn't been able to get help with before
0: mm-hmm. yeah for sure uh okay so <laughs> wrapping it up i mean we could like talk about this forever We could. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking like oh my gosh i'm like I think this is me my adrenals need support which to be completely honest like if you are a woman in the modern world and you didn't know this information prior your adrenals probably need support (laughs) because you know when we know better we do better and we can't do things we don't know to do which is how I lived my life until I was 25 I had no idea about any of these things because nobody had told me you know it's not like in our school curriculum um so What would be like if you had to pick three to five kind of steps for somebody to take to support Uh, their adrenals, to get out of burnout, to get the answers they need, like I'll kind of leave the floor up to you, but what would you say would be like your three (laughs) to five like first steps based on this conversation?
1: Um, I think I would start with um, awareness. So listening through like everything that we just said and sort of talking yourself through like where you think you're at, I think is a huge first step. We can, you know, once we're aware, we're sort of like halfway there. So awareness is a huge part. And I think taking the steps forward is um, we would start with. Do you mean like treatment options or do you mean like steps that they would take to see somebody?
0: Um, I think more treatment options.
1: OK, OK, so I would start with that. I would start with. Um, a lot of my um, burnout patients are skipping meals, and that's a huge thing that actually leads to fatigue for them. So right, re- we're trying to aim for regular high protein, consistent meals throughout the day, even if you're not able to make it regular at first, like trying to aim for a protein rich breakfast within an hour of waking is huge. Um, another big one is avoiding our phone, like at night or in the morning is like an easy first, like leading step. So taking the time to either turn off your notifications turn or turn your phone on do not disturb just in that hour before sleep. And focusing on more like reading in bed or doing something that's electronic free or even using like blue blocking glasses to read on your phone. Something where we're limiting the amount of like invasive stressors right before bed, because especially in that alarm phase, you're going to have trouble sleeping and we're trying to optimize sleep uh same thing in the morning one of the best ways we can reset our nervous system naturally is to get yourself exposed to natural sunlight so it doesn't even need to be a walk it could be like sitting on your balcony sitting in your backyard or just standing outside Um, and then another um trying to think where i would start next um probably somewhere between Like taking breaks and doing something to sort of work on optimizing sleep, either making an appointment with somebody like because I think sleep needs to be like the first thing we talk about the foundations of health and sleep, nutrition, hydration, elimination are the basic five. And sleep is like paramount out of all of those. So if you're not sleeping, like that's really where we need to start first. And if it's not something you can accomplish on your own, then working with like a nutritionist, functional medicine doctor, naturopath, somebody who can help you understand why you're not sleeping and help get you there just to begin with.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. Okay, thank you. So welcome. where can people find you and connect with you? And I think you have a what stage of burnout quiz, something like that, right? Yes. What resources do you have for <laughs> us? And I will make sure they're all linked in the show notes because people are going to be uh, running for these,
1: <laughs> especially the so, like burnout quiz. <laughs> so um, you can find me like my um, website is um And my Instagram is dr.stephanycowie, And there you can find links on both to the um, burnout guide. So you can help figure out like what stage you're in. Um, And then there's also a bloating quiz if you're somebody that experiences chronic bloating. Mm
0: -hmm. And burnout and bloat are connected. They are. (laughs) are. (laughs) People might see that and be like, oh, like, you know, she focuses on burnout and bloat. What do those have to do? They actually have a lot to do with each other.
1: (laughs) They do. Yeah. Um, Mega gut health, hormone health mindset. That's like, those three are what I'm all about. So Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming. Uh,
1: thank you for having me. I loved it. Bye.
0: <laughs> and that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you loved today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality and there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety with awareness comes action and the more people this podcast can reach the less people will struggle with anxiety and positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show you are the best thank you so much for being here i appreciate you so 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 much One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only, and the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode. Bye for now.